to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. This is Rick Paschkett, content guy for the Business Law section. I welcome you to our podcast platform, The Extent Fit. And this series, Business Law Leadership. And our episode today will be A View to the Bench. Our host is Shazia Ahmad, Vice President of Regulatory Reporting at Wells Fargo. She joined the ABA as a law student liaison and now is co-chair of the Young Lawyer Committee of the ABA Business Law Section. Shazia, I will let you introduce our guest and good luck with the podcast. Thank you, Rick. Hi, everybody. I want to give you guys an introduction to one of the attorneys that I have met, and now he's a judge that has been exceptionally helpful within the ABA and guiding the Young Lawyer Committee. And I find that his path to his career has really is one that we all should follow and understand because is unorthodox, but yet a path that can really bring fruition to money. This is Judge Reyes that we have on the podcast today. Judge Reyes is a first generation in his family of college graduates of Mexican immigrants. He was a previously an attorney as a patent attorney, and now he is a judge for the Minnesota Court of Appeals. Hey, Judge Reyes. Hello, thank you for having me on this podcast, and it's good to talk to you again. Yes. So, Judge Reyes, this podcast is called The Unorthodox Path to the Judiciary. And one of the things that we need to understand is that people have plans in their careers, and they want to make sure that we follow our plan to the T. But it never turns out that way, or there's different ways that we end up at that path. So I wanted you to kind of give us a better understanding of how you decided to join the judiciary, and if that was the first thing you wanted to do, or were there other ideas that you had along the way? Sure, happy to, to do that. And, and I think there are multiple aspects to that question. Uh, the, the, I'll, I'll take the last part first of, is this what I wanted to do? And the answer is a very simple no. Uh, in, in fact, uh, going back, uh, I originally went to college and was the first one in my family to go to college thinking I would be for pre-med. I changed my mind and decided I didn't want to go through that path, And but I did obtain a a hard science degree in chemistry, then worked as an environmental scientist. So the legal profession is actually my second career. It was while I was working as an environmental scientist and then senior environmental scientist that I decided to go back for uh, to get a law degree uh, but I actually went back to get a law degree with the intent and the goal of using that in the field of uh, env- environmental uh, application and studies and, and not necessarily to actually practice law. So, uh, no, that, that being a, a judge was the, the furthest thing from my mind. And even at, when I decided to practice law, uh, the first time I thought about becoming a judge is when I actually was a judicial law clerk myself uh, when I first started. 
And I, I thoroughly enjoyed being a judicial law clerk. I thoroughly enjoyed being in the courtroom. I knew then I really wanted to do litigation. But once I started practicing law, I was focused on the practice of law. I really wasn't focused on thinking 10, 15, 20 years down the road that I wanted to apply to the judiciary. That was the furthest thing from my mind at, at, at the, just about every single stage of my legal career until the two openings came up on the court of Minnesota Court of Appeals and other people encouraged me to apply. That was actually the first time that I seriously thought about applying. So to your, to your comment, which I think is a good one in terms of having a plan, I'm a firm believer in terms of having a plan and, and having goals. At the same time, as you mentioned, you need to be flexible because opportunities may present themselves that you did not expect. And so you have to carefully evaluate, okay, this opportunity just presented itself. This isn't something I had planned on, but I think this is something that I may enjoy doing. This is something that interests me and I'm willing to take a chance to uh, take advantage of this opportunity that presented itself. So the judiciary wasn't the first place that you were looking, but I wanted to get kind of step back a little bit, right? You're at the judiciary now, but where were you before you came to the judiciary? When you first started law school, how was the career path that you had planned and how was going to law school? Because I remember when I first started law school, I was lucky because my sister had gone to law school before me. So she was able to guide me into where I need to go, where I need to apply. Even within the ABA, when I became a law student liaison, she was pushing me to do these things, right? And it was helpful to have someone guiding me along the path. How was your path? to law school and after you've graduated? Well, actually, that's a really good question, but I'm actually going to answer by stepping back a little bit further, and that is to college. So my family were migrant workers who came from Guadalajara, Mexico to the United States, and they came here uh, because they saw America as the land of opportunity, and they wanted to seek their fortunes here for themselves, for their children and their grandchildren like me. They wanted to have a better life for themselves and for their family. And so I'm very grateful for my grandparents for seeking the land of opportunity and coming here to the United States. And and I'm very, very proud to be an American. and, And I really do feel like I'm living the American dream, but it certainly was, uh, had its challenges. Because of my my grandparents had no education, my parents had a high school education, and I was the first one on either side of my family to go to college. And so when I went to college, it was quite frankly, that first year was a struggle because I didn't have anybody in my family to go to to say, how does this work? How, how do I study for these tests? How do I get through all of these labs because I'm a science major here? How do I navigate uh, this whole new world that is completely foreign to me. Uh, once I figured out how to navigate it, I realized quickly that what I really needed to do to do is to have mentors. I needed other people, uh, senior classmen, uh, others, professors to ask, how do I get through this? So when I went to law school, again, I didn't we didn't have any, anybody in our family that were lawyers. 
but what I did, I was, I was much more intentional to reach out to lawyers, to reach out to the professors, and to reach out to law students to find out what is this like and what am I getting myself into? Uh, of course, none of us know completely what we're getting into, but I certainly had a much, much better idea than when I did when I went to college. But that is something I feel very strongly about in terms of having mentors. And so for, for me, I'm, I'm, I have been very active in terms of mentoring young lawyers, mentoring law students, mentoring judges, new judges, uh, all across the spectrum, because I think it's really important for us to give back in that capacity, because there are many people who, uh, for, for them, either the practice of law or deciding what to do in their careers uh, is, is a new experience. And so I, I can very much relate to that feeling of not knowing what to do and how to do it. So for, for law school, that's what I did, is I, I really tried to uh, seek professors and, and law students and lawyers who could help me, help guide me through that law school experience. So I, I think that made my law school experience uh, much better, even though I was working full time, had a family, and then was going to school part time. I understand that whole concept of working full time and going part time to law school, because I did the same thing when I went to law school. I worked full-time job, evening classes, and you mentioned that mentoring. And I also found that was helpful to me to join different organizations to find mentors. What was your path to finding mentors? Were you, was it within the school or different associations that helped you find these mentors along your journey? Yeah, it was, it was very much a combination. I was fortunate to find some really good professors who helped guide me through law school, uh, lawyers, uh, and then bar associations. I actually, while I was in law school, I helped found and became the first president of the Hispanic Law Student Association there. And through that, I met lawyers through in the Minnesota Hispanic Bar Association. I think bar associations can play a, a huge role in terms of mentoring lawyers, in terms of mentoring law students and help guiding them through that process, helping them find employment uh, through the ABA. I've been active in a number of different areas and, and including with the business law section, I, I asked to be a, a, a mentor to and an advisor to the Young Lawyers Committee because I think it's just so important for us to, uh, for those of us who have been fortunate enough to be in the positions that I've been in, uh, to, to give back to young lawyers. I think you're a great example, Shazia, of somebody who's a very outstanding lawyer who has a lot of potential and is very active in the ABA. So, uh, you know, working with people like you, that's, it, it's, it's really a joy to be able to do that. But I think it, bar associations play, including the American Bar Association, play really key roles in that. We also have, for example, uh, through the judicial division of which I'm involved in, a uh, judicial clerkship program and one that's particularly focused on on diverse students uh, and we know that many diverse students oftentimes themselves are first generation uh, either college or law school or both and uh, really may not have a, a as full an understanding of how the whole legal system works and how the process of applying for positions it works. I, I mentioned I was a judicial law clerk. I was a clerk for the Honorable Salvador Rosas, 
who was a, a district court judge, a state district court judge. And I knew nothing about that position until I happened to run into his clerk who said he was leaving that position. Uh, he was gracious enough to spend you know, a couple hours talking to me about that position about and why I should apply to it. But before that, I had no idea about that. And I think there are a lot of uh, people out there, students uh, and even lawyers that really don't understand aspects of, of the legal profession like that. I can tell you, I did not. You mentioned the diversity committee within the ABA business law section. And I find that the diversity committee is helpful in finding a home to where you would end up with your substantive committees because it's an administrative committee, but it helps you go to where you need to be, right? And I think that that's important for myself, for example, because I am a child of an immigrant and you don't always know where you're going to be or how to get there. And these different committees are very helpful for diversity and inclusion in the process of your legal career. When you graduated law school, you went into intellectual property. How did that process go with intellectual property of being a diverse community for you in understanding that career as well? Was there a lot of diversity with intellectual property or was that kind of a new area for you to kind of navigate as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So after law school, I, well, actually, while I was in law school, I, I clerked for the, the judge, Judge Rosas. And then I was fortunate enough, I did the on-campus interviewing. I interviewed with a number of different law firms, and I, I was a summer associate at Robbins Kaplan. And then right after law school, I worked there. I, they offered me a position as associate. And I did IP litigation, intellectual property litigation, and primarily patent litigation. Um, and it was primarily a litigation firm, and they were focused on on litigation. And IP was simply one type of litigation that they practiced. So they kind of took that broad view, which I think was very, very helpful. In terms of the diversity in IP, uh, because I had a hard science degree, I could uh, apply for and take the patent bar. And so I did that, and I passed it on the first go-round. And so I'm also a registered patent attorney. In the area of IP, and particularly with respect to registered patent attorneys, there's not a lot of diversity there at all. Uh, it's, uh, I, I know a lot of the diverse IP lawyers and, and even more so the diverse patent attorneys, not only in Minnesota, but around the country because we're so few and far between, unfortunately. And so there is... Uh, definitely work to be done in that area. But I will tell you, you mentioned how the, a, the ABA Business Law Section's Diversity Committee is, is a great starting place for many diverse lawyers. And I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I found for myself, starting out and being very active in both the Minnesota Hispanic Bar Association and then the Hispanic National Bar Association, really provided a, a great place for me to become involved in bar associations uh, because it's it's kind of, uh, you're looking at familiar faces similar to being involved in uh, the, like for instance, I became, in, I received a presidential appointment many years ago to the Hispanic Commission. And that, that was a great place for me to start in terms of different committees before moving on to other substantive committees, uh, because you you see people that look like you, and it's natural for all of us to gravitate toward people 
who look or sound or or have similar experiences as we do. At the same time, at some point, we have to uh, take a more broad view and look at areas where we can contribute, like you said, in terms of becoming more involved in the more substantive areas. So for me, intellectual property. So I, I started joining different areas where my background and my expertise could be utilized. And it's I think it's important for diverse lawyers to look at those opportunities as well and not just get stuck in, in the diversity uh, committees or, or uh, areas. Uh, it's a natural one for us to uh, work in, and I still continue to do that, but I still enjoy being involved in substantive areas as well. So I want to transition a little, Judge Reyes, because I know that you worked as an IP attorney, but then you also went in-house. And I know that many attorneys, either they will take that partner track or some of them also go in-house. And I want to know what your experience was going from a law firm environment to then in-house position. Because there's, I think at times some people think that going in-house can be easier, but there also are different challenges and more work that come up when you're in-house position. So I'd like to get your perspective of transitioning over to a in-house position from the law firm. Sure. So I I worked at Robbins. I love the work that I did there. I uh, love my colleagues and the opportunities that they gave me. Uh, I was working on some very, very high-profile cases. Um, and, and, and so I enjoyed every aspect, really, of working in a law firm with the exception of billable hours, which I don't think anybody enjoys at all, uh, <laughs> uh, keeping track of that time. Yep. But the, the one the one downside I found is, as I mentioned, I had a family, I had three daughters, um, and I had so little control over my schedule that it, it became really a challenge uh, from my perspective, at least. Uh, last year I was there, I, I missed all three of my daughter's birthdays and in June and July and August. And at that point, I realized, you know, I, I could continue on this path, but um, at least for me, I'm going to choose to try to have a position that would allow me a little bit more flexibility uh, to attend and spend time with, with my daughters. And so I was very clear and upfront with my colleagues at the firm why I was leaving, and and they they you know to their credit they completely understood. They said we 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 understand. I had gotten a call from actually a law school classmate at Cargill who said, "Are you ready to get off the litigation treadmill?" He had called me a year before, and I said, "You know things are going well." He said, "Can I give you a call in a year because we're looking at expanding our IP group here at Cargill?" And I said, "Sure." So he gave me a call a year later, and I said, "Why are you calling me back? We just talked." And he said, "It's been a year already." I said, oh, okay, uh, keep talking. <laughs> so uh, ultimately, I interviewed there and um, I took the position there. Now, in terms of transition, I will tell you, it was kind of a shock to the system for me. Doing litigation uh, in, a, in a, a national law firm, the focus is all about, at least from my perspective, it was all about the law. And, and I, I wanted to know and learn the law inside and out. And I read every single Federal Circuit case I could on issues that came up and worked on discovery and, 
depots and briefs and 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 all of that, that good stuff that's involved in litigation. But when I went in-house, it was a very, very different approach. Uh, in-house, as, as you know, they, it's about the business and what lawyers can do to support the business. And many business people, quite frankly, don't look fondly upon lawyers. They look at lawyers as those are the people who tell us what we can't do. Uh, we want you to tell us what we can do and how we can do it. And it was it was a very different experience as a lawyer, realizing that you're knocking on doors and trying to help your clients who want nothing to do with you as an initial matter. And so it was it was about being persistent. It was about getting a better understanding of the business mindset and what the businesses were trying to accomplish and how you as a lawyer could help them accomplish their goals in a way that was legal, that complied with the laws and, and that uh, complied with the company's guiding principles, um, but provide, you know, providing them options and then also a risk uh, cost benefit uh, analysis. Uh, you know, in, in a law firm, if you were asked, well, what's the likelihood of litigation? Standard response is, well, you never know, could be 50-50. Uh, the 50-50 the response or, you know, we don't know, you, you can never tell, just does not fly in a corporation. They want you to put down, okay, well, there's an 85% chance of litigation here, or there's only a 20% chance. They're putting numbers to everything and they want you to do the same thing. They want you to be in the boat with them, taking the same risks that they are. So it took me, I would say, at least a good year to really understand the different perspective of in-house counsel um, versus practicing law as a lawyer in a litigation firm. And then as your career went on, right, you have got these different experiences now. You've worked at a firm. You've worked at a corporation. When you got the opportunity to go to the judiciary, did you find that these opportunities here had kind of given you a pathway to it? Or were these just kind of stepping stones in your career? Yeah, I, I would say probably the latter. I was at Cargill for 12 years and I, I held a variety of different positions and literally had clients all over the world. I, I did a lot of international work. I flew well over a million miles to give you an idea of just how much I traveled. Uh, I, I Sometimes I felt like I spent as much time in airports around the world as I did uh, <laughs> in the United States. Uh, and in fact, I was actually the regional intellectual property coordinator for all of Latin America. And Cargill had roughly 20 to 25% of its business in Latin America. So it was a very significant chunk of work. I coordinated uh, activities and lawyers and businesses in Mexico, El Salvador, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Venezuela, um, and, and so in, in amongst other countries, although those were you know, the main ones. So I, it, was, it was a very... Um, diverse type of work and uh, had a lot of uh, international flavor to it. So I also had to have a very good understanding of civil law versus common law, uh, depending on what country we were working in. But from there, I actually um, 
uh, decided at, at some point, I, I really enjoyed litigation. I mentioned how much I enjoyed it when I was clerking for the judge and how much I enjoyed it at Robbins. And I tried to get involved in as many litigation matters when I was in house, but uh, for some reasons, uh, for some reason, corporations don't like litigation. They don't like being hauled into court. <laughs> and, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so there weren't that many litigation matters to to work on. And I found myself being drawn back to that. I wanted to get back into litigation. And so I decided I'm actually going to take a rather unorthodox step. I'm going to uh, I, I want to go back to the practice of law. I want to go back to a law firm and do litigation. And I thought I really could provide a benefit to clients because having been in-house, I knew how businesses uh, looked at the world. I knew how in-house lawyers looked at things, which was very, very different than how I looked at it when I did litigation first starting out. I had a very, very different perspective. And I, I so I did. I actually I joined Barnes & Thornburg as a partner in their litigation and IP departments. And I specifically said, I don't want to be boxed into one or the other because I want to be able to do both in addition to client counseling. And, and now that I've, I've had that in-house experience and, and they said, sure, you know, whatever you want to do, you, you've got a wealth of experience and we certainly want to take advantage of that. So I really enjoyed being able to do that and very quickly built up a a client base uh, a lot faster than even I thought I would, but I had put a business plan together of how I would do that and who I would reach out to. So that was actually my next step before the judiciary is from there that I had people who said, you know, Peter, you've been working and helping other people get to the bench through the Minnesota Spank Bar Association. You're president of that organization. You're national president of the Hispanic National Bar Association. You've been helping others get to the bench. Isn't it really time that you applied? And my first response was, no, it, you know, I, I, I'm just starting my law practice up again and I'm, I'm doing well and I'm on that upward trajectory. And, and this, is, this is my plan right now. And they said, well, yeah, but, you know, this is an opportunity that you really should consider. And I'm, and it's kind of funny because I found myself pushing back on people who were encouraging me to apply using the same um, statements that I, when I would encourage other people to apply, I would hear from them. The timing isn't right. There are more qualified people out there. Uh, the, you know, I'm not the best candidate for this position because most of my practice is in federal courts, not in state courts, much less state appellate courts. Uh, we've never had a Latino appointed to the Court of Appeals, much less Supreme Court. So I'd be breaking new ground. And, you know, I'm, I'm clearly not the candidate for that. So I pushed back with all of the excuses that I'd heard other people have when I encouraged them to apply. And actually, uh, quick story, what really made me change my mind is I was having dinner at home with my wife and our three daughters, and I was telling them that people were encouraging me to apply. And our oldest daughter asked me two questions. Her first question was, okay, dad, how often do these positions open up? 
And I said, well, not too often because people stay there until they retire. And then the second question she had for me was, okay, dad, would you regret not applying? And I paused and I said, that's a very good question. Maybe I will reconsider whether I should apply or not. And I ended up applying. So um, it was really uh, advice from my, my, one of my daughters that really made me decide to apply. Those are very insightful questions for anybody in their career <laughs> about where you should go and when you should go. Yes, she, um, you she had mentioned her, along the her. way about, you know, you were always encouraging people and you're working on strategic plans for your career. I know that within the Young Lawyer Committee, we did a uh, series where we were able to have you, Judge Reyes, go through creating a strategic plan. When this opportunity came up, did you have to revise your strategic plan for your career and now decide where your career was going to go and your journey was going to take you now? Yes, absolutely. And, and by the way, I should mention that, yes, that, that those questions from uh, one of our daughters were very, very insightful, uh, but they, they get that, that intellect from, from my wife and that insight. So of that's course. not surprising at all. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of my strategic plan, yeah, I, I, had, I had just finished working on my strategic business plan at the firm uh, just a few months prior to that opening, uh, those two openings. And so I was uh, going full steam ahead with my business plan in terms of working with clients and bringing in more clients. And so when I decided that I would apply to the judiciary, I actually created a specific strategic plan for that. And I talked to uh, a lot of people that I, I, I trusted and my, my, essentially my board of, of, of trustees, my board of directors, I reached out to them uh, and, and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. There are some judges on it, some lawyers, uh, law firm partners in-house uh, and, and from all different areas and all different parts of the country too, for that matter, and said, can you help me in terms of what, you, what I need to do? Uh, some people were very blunt and said, you know, you've been helping other people. You just have to turn that lens inward, uh, which was very true. But at the same time, I still bounced those ideas and that plan off of others at, in terms of how I needed to proceed. And I think that was, quite frankly, um, one of the keys to my success there. It wasn't that it, I was... Uh, um, uh, that it was all on me, in other words. It was having really good people around me that provided me excellent guidance and advice uh, in, in terms of how I should do it and how I should proceed. So that, I think, is really, really important. None of us are uh, get to our positions by ourselves. Uh, there are so many people who along the way, the people who wrote letters of recommendation were key. People who served as references were key. People who were on my board of directors were key. Uh, people, and, and even after I had my initial six letters of recommendation, I had two dozen people who wrote letters of recommendation on my behalf. Some of those people I didn't find out until after I was appointed that they wrote letters. 
And I made sure to thank each and every single one for, for their support because um, I wouldn't be here but for them. Now that you're on the judiciary, Judge Reyes, can you give us some insight into how the judiciary has been working during the pandemic? Because I find that everybody's life has changed in some way, and it'd be great to get some insight from you as though you've had this great career of where you've gone to a firm, to a corporation, now the judiciary, you have such a great perspective. How do you think the pandemic has actually changed our world now? Oh, that's that's a great question. That's a kind of a million dollar question right there. Um, I, I will say that I have always been uh, a fan of, of using technology and of looking forward. And just speaking for myself, uh, I I think that the practice of law has been slow to change. And up until a year and a half, two years ago, the practice of law has has been relatively unchanged, even going back to the days of Lincoln, for that matter. And we have adopted technology, but we've adapted it, I think, sometimes even begrudgingly. Uh, we, we do have laptops, we have cell phones, we have, uh, you know, we can do things electronically. But uh, I, I would venture to say that many lawyers still prefer to have paper copies of everything, of briefs, of documents, of drafts, of filings, whatever it may be, contracts, et cetera, et cetera. And do we really need all of the paper that we have surrounding us? Or can we do things more efficiently uh, with technology? And how can technology benefit us? I was fortunate at Cargill uh, my experience for a couple of reasons. One, because I did so much international traveling, it really didn't make sense from my perspective to carry on around all the paperwork, especially all the pen files. I, there's no way I could have carried around all the pen files I was working on. So I learned to do a lot more work electronically when I was at Cargill. The other thing that I had the benefit of is I had a, a wonderful mentor, boss, uh, sponsor, and friend uh, by the person of, of Harry Gwinnell, who um, was very open in terms of letting us work flexibly. Uh, he often would say, you know, I don't care if you're in Brazil or Belgium or in your backyard, as long as you're getting your work done, that's all that matters. He you know, said, you know, I don't need you here in the office uh, Monday through Friday, you know, eight to six. Uh, the, the the key is as long as you're being productive, as long as you're getting your work done, as long as you're responding to your clients, that, that's all I'm really concerned about. And so I, I've adopted that myself, that, that approach as a judge, even with my staff. And I, I think when you treat people as professionals, uh, they will respond accordingly and they will they will get the work done no matter where they're working. I think the pandemic has really brought that into focus. I think there was a very much a reluctance to take advantage of technology that every single court appearance, every single hearing, every single mediation, every single deposition had to be in person. And I think we have realized as a profession, the legal profession and the lawyers and judges have realized 
that's not necessarily true all the time. We can have effective hearings or discussions using technologies such as Zoom or WebEx or other uh, multimedia platforms. We can have bar association meetings. We can have committee meetings. And so I think we have gone through a paradigm change now with respect to technology. And I hope that we have gone through a paradigm change with respect to how we work as well. Uh, I, I don't think we need to necessarily require each and every single lawyer or law clerk or whoever, whatever position you're in to have to be physically within an office, you know, Monday through Friday. I think having flexibility is actually a good thing. And I think it is beneficial for many, many reasons, for cost savings, for people who have families, for example, who have, have to take care of, uh, it could be children, it could be siblings, it could be elderly parents. And having that flexibility, I think it is a good thing. I think it's also a good thing for uh, lawyers rather than having to drive from one city to another to attend a 30 or one 30 minute or 60 minute meeting if they can do that virtually and and save that time and travel and expenses uh, that for their clients i think that's beneficial i think it also is really an access to justice issue. Uh, we had, uh, my one final thought is, we have you know, relatively small courtrooms for in-person hearings. Now that we've been holding hearings via Zoom, uh, we've had a number of uh, significant and very, very large uh, uh, issues and, and cases where we literally have had hundreds of people who have been able to join and watch the oral arguments by Zoom. And that's something that we weren't able to do uh, more than a year and a half ago. So I think there are a lot of benefits to uh, kind of silver lining of the pandemic of showing how we can actually practice law in a, in a different way and take advantage of technology uh, that we can you know look forward rather than looking back and trying to practice law the way we, we have um, for decades, if not centuries. And judges, I want to circle back to my last question about the fact that you are a first-generation Mexican immigrant. And I want to know, what advice do you have for young lawyers, seasoned lawyers, about coming into this field of law and how to drive your career along that path? What is the best way? What would be recommendations that you have? Just a little bit of guidance to young lawyers as well as seasoned attorneys. Uh, sure, I can provide my perspective. I don't, I don't know how, how beneficial my, my guidance will be, but um, I would say follow your dreams and follow your own path and don't be afraid to create your own path. If I would have followed a path that others thought I should follow, I do not think I would be in the position I am in now. I think it's important to have a plan, to have an idea of where you want to go, but I think it's very important to be flexible. I think the, the, the 
practice of law is an, an incredible area to be in. There are so many different opportunities for all of us. And it's just a matter of what we are interested in and what, what dream do we want to pursue? Do, uh, do you want to be in-house counsel? Do you want to be a general counsel? Do you want to be a government lawyer who works on white collar crimes and prosecuting white collar issues? Do you want to be somebody who is working on uh, defending those who need representation as a public defender, state, appellate level, federal level, whatever it may be? Do you want to work at a nonprofit? Uh, is that where your heart is? Uh, do you want to be a partner at, at a firm and have clients that you know you can serve and, and help seek justice for them? Or do you want to be uh, in a position such as a judge where you're a public servant and you are trying to administer justice each and every single day? I will tell you from, from my perspective, I've been in many of those positions and each one is a fascinating position. Each one has its its benefits. Uh, and, and there's no one path for any person to follow. It's really a matter of what you want to do. Find people who will provide guidance to you and support you and advocate for you. Find people who have gone through a path that you may want to go through yourself and seek their advice. Seek out mentors and, and get their feedback. So ultimately, I would say pursue your dreams. This is, this is a great profession. This is a great country. And really, the sky's the limit in terms of what anybody can do. Thank you, Judge Reyes. Your guidance is always very insightful. Um, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule for our podcast today. This was extremely insightful for me to understand how your career has really transitioned and you've become come to the bench as well as guidance for me to understand where i'd want to take my career so thank you very much Andreas. my pleasure always a great great to talk to you thank you for listening to the aba business law sections podcast series to the extent that the section offers a robust collection of content to explore more about this topic or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.